0: Hi, everybody. Michael Camarina here with the Rock Community Church, where in our men's ministry, we are going through a study of 1 John. We meet uh, once a week for what we call men's breakfast, and uh, we uh, are going through 1 John. We have a time of prayer. We uh, have fellowship, and obviously, we have breakfast at men's breakfast. Um, So for more information on that, uh, for any men that would like to join us uh, we'd love to have you. You can go to our webpage, uh, trcclive.org, for more information. Uh, and uh, we'd love to have you, so please join us. Uh, let me pray before we get into uh, today's study in First John. Heavenly Father, we are so grateful for your truth. We're grateful for the fact that you chose to communicate to us through your word, that you chose to reveal yourself and your plan for salvation And uh, Lord, we just want to come to your word with, uh, not just with open hearts and open minds, but also with pure hearts, Lord. So we pray that you would just cleanse us from all unrighteousness at this time. Uh, Give us a a heart of repentance and confession, Lord, according to your word. And, um, And Lord, we just give this time to you, and we pray that it brings you glory. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Okay, this is... Our third study, our third uh, message uh, in first John uh, we studied uh, first we did verses one through four of chapter one and then we did verses five through seven and today we are going to do first John chapter one verses eight through ten. So just to kind of recap uh, the first couple of passages of, of the book of first John, uh, we studied that uh, or we we uh, as we were studying we learned that the book of first john was written by the apostle john uh in as a way of combating some heresies that had entered the church there were some false teachers that had that had crept into the church from within and they began to t- teach some heresies and so as you read through first john you can actually uh figure out what these heresies are i mean he john makes some very absolute statements um in, in, in as a way of fighting the heresies that had uh, that had come up, so uh, John first establishes his apostolic authority. He says, uh, "What we have, uh, what we have, what was from the beginning, what we have heard, what we have seen with our eyes, and what we have looked at and touched with our hands concerning the word of life." And he was saying these things to, uh, essentially, to say, "I, I, as one of the apostles, was with Jesus. I walked with Jesus. I." My hands handled him. My eyes saw him. So I know that he was indeed a human being. Because one of the heresies was that he was not a man. Uh, They said he was just an emanation or just spirit. Um, They were saying that uh, all matter was evil and that all things spirit were good. And so uh, he is saying, no, 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 I touched him with my hands and I looked upon him. And uh, what these things that we have seen and heard, we proclaim to you so that you may have fellowship with us. And indeed, our fellowship is with the Father and with his Son, Jesus Christ. Um, and then in the, in the second uh, section, in verses 5 through 7, the Apostle John presents us with the truth that God is light. And so last time we learned that what that means, that God is light, is that God is life. There's several places in the Bible that we looked at that equate light with life. There's also uh, several places where the Bible equates light with truth. And then also where uh, where the Bible equates light with morality or good works or holiness. Um, and so if you want, would like some more, uh, more information on that, you can look at our first two ver- um, messages on those. Verses, But today, we are going to be studying 1 John chapter 1, verses 8 through 10. So let's go ahead and read those verses, and then we will get into our study here. So verse 8 says, If we say that we have no sin, we are deceiving ourselves, and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, He is faithful and righteous to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If we say that we have not sinned, we make him a liar, and his word is not in us. So we can, we can see what heresy John is combating here. I mean, he says in verse 10, if we say we have not sinned, then we make him a liar, and his word is not in us. So it's pretty clear that the heresy was that, that people do not sin. That's what the, the heretics that had crept into the church were saying. We don't sin. Human beings don't sin. I mentioned that uh, th- there was this belief among the heretics that matter is evil and spirit is good. And, you know, this this is the beginning of, uh, uh, of an ultimate, ultimately a heresy that would later become known as Gnosticism. Gnosticism. So uh, these the people that believed Gnosticism were called Gnostics. So you've heard of an agnostic, right? An agnostic is someone who believes that there is a God, but we can't know him. We, we will not be able to have any kind of knowledge about God. That's an agnostic. A Gnostic, with a silent G in the beginning, believes that Not only is there a God, but we, the Gnostics, have special knowledge about him. And so one of these beliefs is that uh, Jesus was not actually a human being. He was just a spirit, and the apostles thought he was a human being, but he really wasn't. And they said the reason for that is that because matter is evil and spirit is good, that a, a good God, a perfect, sinless Jesus, would never have entered the body, the physical body of a human being, of a man. Because matter is evil. Physical matter is evil, they said. And so our spirit is good. They, they would say that we don't sin because our bodies may sin. Our physical bodies may sin because matter is evil. But our spirit is good. We're sinless. So we, in our spirit, don't actually sin. And that is obviously a heresy, right? We know, based on what the Bible tells us, that we are sinful human beings, sin. We do sin. Romans chapter 3, verses 10 through 12 says, I mean, this is very clear, and this is a famous passage regarding this idea of sin. It says, there is none righteous, not even one. There is none who understands. There is none who seeks for God. All have turned aside. Together they have become useless. There is none who does good; there is not even one. A couple of chapters later in chapter 5 verse 12 of Romans, it says, "Therefore just as one man, I'm sorry, just as through one man sin entered the world and death through sin," And so death spread to all men, because all sinned. So he's saying, just as through, through one man sin entered the world. That's Adam. Sin entered the world through Adam. Adam, the first man, sinned, and we inherited sinfulness through Adam. So through one man, Adam, sin entered the world, and death through sin. And so death spread to all men, because all sinned. We all inherited our sinfulness from Adam. And then Ephesians 2, chapter 2, verse 1, says that before salvation, we were dead in our trespasses and sins. We all were at one time dead in our trespasses and sins. So all human beings have sinned, all of us, with the exception of Jesus Christ. We've all sinned, and this is a trait that we inherited from from Adam. But the glorious truth of the gospel is that if we confess our sins and repent, God is faithful and righteous to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. How much unrighteousness? Some of our unrighteousness Most unrighteousness? I don't know. All unrighteousness. He cleanses us from all unrighteousness. That is an amazing reality. I don't know how many Christians understand how amazing that reality is. That if we confess that we are indeed sinners that we've offended a holy God. And if we repent of those sins and put our faith and trust in Jesus and His work on the cross, then we are forgiven. Completely forgiven. Moreover, we are cleansed from all unrighteousness. I mean, Do we understand what that means, to be cleansed from all unrighteousness? Let's dig into that, because that's that's an important concept, to be cleansed from all unrighteousness. What does that mean? Our sins make us unclean. We are unclean because of our sins. In the Old Testament, God had laws about things that are clean and things that are unclean. He had laws about things that would make a person unclean or things that would make a person clean. And one of the things that would make a person unclean is if he or she, for example, were to touch a dead body. If a person touched a dead body, they were considered unclean. Numbers 19 says that anyone who touches a corpse shall be unclean for seven days. And if that person does not purify himself with water, then he defiles the tabernacle and, now watch this, and he shall be cut off from Israel. That's, that's no small thing. If a person touches a corpse... He shall be unclean for seven days. And if they don't go through the proper purification process, then they defile the tabernacle and they shall be cut off from Israel. They shall be exiled. Being unclean is huge. It's a serious thing. And in the Old Testament, God was teaching his people the seriousness of unclean things. And so when John says that if we confess our sins, then God is faithful to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. He's saying that the blood of Jesus takes away this, that, that damning, dirty stain that separates us from God. The blood of Jesus takes that away. We're cleansed. You see, when God saves us, He saves us and then His Holy Spirit dwells in us, dwells in our hearts. Then our our old ways, our our, our, our old sinful ways, our old way of thinking, it becomes repulsive to us, right? It makes us feel unclean. Have you ever felt that? Unclean because of your old ways or your old, way of thinking, your, your sin. You feel dirty, don't you? At least I do. We feel unclean. And that's because God's Spirit, the Holy Spirit, is convicting us. The Holy Spirit, who's dwelling in our hearts, sees our sin as unclean. And so, we too, because the Holy Spirit's living within, inside us, And so we, too, see our sin as unclean. And so when we sin, when we are made aware of any sin in our lives, we feel unclean, and our natural response is to confess and repent. It's the natural response of a truly saved follower of Christ who has the Holy Spirit in their heart. Verse 9 has uh, kind of a double meaning, really, Uh, 1 John 1, 9. Uh, let Let me read it again. It says, If we confess our sins, he is faithful and righteous to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. So if we confess our sins, in other words, if we confess that we are a sinner, if we confess that we are sinful, we've offended a holy God, then God will forgive us. God will cleanse us. This is, a, th- th- this is the idea of salvation. This is, we realize that we are sinful. We ask God to forgive us. And he does. And you, you see this actually in the Beatitudes, in the Sermon on the Mount, uh, when, when Jesus um, uh, preaches the Beatitudes. The first beatitude is actually this. It says, blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. So what does that mean, poor in spirit? Well, poor in spirit, it means, doesn't mean financially poor. It means spiritually poor, poor in spirit. We're spiritually poor. We realize that we are spiritually bankrupt, that there is no goodness in us, that we are indeed sinful. That's the first step to salvation, and it's a necessary step. To understand your own spiritual bankruptcy. The next beatitude, Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. This isn't, this isn't just an arbitrary thought or, or saying that Jesus is, is, is giving us. Blessed are those who mourn is in the context of the previous verse. Blessed are those who are poor in spirit. Now he says, blessed are those who mourn. So we are mourning over our spiritual bankruptcy. We mourn over our sin. In fact, this this Greek word for mourn, of all the words for mourn, and there's several in the Greek language, this would be the strongest word for the word mourn. We mourn over our sin. Then we see blessed are the gentle or the meek in some translations. And then the fourth beatitude is, blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. We realize we're sinful, we mourn over that sin, and then we hunger and thirst for righteousness. And this is not a righteousness that we can attain on our own. Because remember what Romans uh, 3 said? There is none who seeks after God. There is none who does good, not even one. So this righteousness that we hunger and thirst for is not our own inherent righteousness. This is the righteousness of God. This is the righteousness of Jesus Christ who lived a sinless life. He lived perfectly sinless while he was on earth. Obeyed every law. Fulfilled every law. And so that righteousness is imputed onto us when we... Repent and believe. And so this is this is one of the components of verse 9 of 1 John chapter 1. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and righteous to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. But there's another component here. There's something else going on in verse 9. You see, the original Greek language here is in... A continuous present tense it's it's uh well i'm not gonna I'm not gonna uh, go into detail about the the Greek grammar that's being used here, but suffice it to say that there in greek Greek's a lot more complex than english uh Greek has different cases and tenses uh, that we don't have in english uh and so long story short a, uh, another trans, another translation or another way of saying this particular verse would might be uh, if we are confessing our sins he is faithful and righteous to forgive us and cleanse us from all unrighteousness it's that continuous present tense if we are confessing our sins he is faithful to forgive and to cleanse us that that is a, that's different than if we confess, that one-time-at-salvation confession. This is continual. And this isn't, this isn't a command that he's giving us. He's not saying you have to confess each and every sin. You have to be confessing every time in order to be forgiven. This isn't a works-based system, remember. So he's not giving a command here. This is more of a statement of fact if we are confessors, if we're confessing our sins, well, then he's faithful and righteous to forgive. You know, there's a growing heresy today that says that God is so loving that he does not want us to feel bad. He doesn't want us to feel uncomfortable. He doesn't want us to feel guilty about our sin. They'll say, that's what a loving father does. He doesn't let his children feel any kind of negative emotion. He doesn't want you to feel guilty about your sin. You don't need to confess your sin, because that's just going to make you feel bad about it. God doesn't want you to do that, they'll say. Anyone who believes that, or teaches that, I would point those people to James chapter 4, verses 8 through 10. Listen to James 4, 8 through 10. It says, Cleanse your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. Be miserable and mourn and weep. Let your laughter be turned into mourning and your joy to gloom. Humble yourselves in the presence of the Lord, and he will exalt you. That's strong language, folks. Be miserable and mourn and weep. Let your laughter turn into mourning and your joy to gloom. He's not saying that God wants you to, doesn't want you to feel any kind of guilt or, or negative feeling about your sin. He says, cleanse your hand, you sinners. Be miserable and mourn and weep. The true believer, the true disciple of Christ, will mourn over their sin, and confess it, knowing that the Lord is faithful to forgive. Psalm 32, one of my favorite psalms. Psalm 32 is a psalm of penitence. It's a psalm of contrition. King David wrote Psalm 32 after he had sinned with Bathsheba and, and had her husband killed, um... And then uh, he was confronted about his sin, and and he repented, and, and he wrote Psalm 32 in response. He says, When I kept silent about my sin, my body wasted away through my groaning all day long. For day and night your hand was heavy upon me. My vitality was drained away as with the fever heat of summer. I acknowledged my sin to you and my iniquity I did not hide. I said, I will confess my transgressions to the Lord and you forgave the guilt of my sin. You see, when David bottled up the acknowledgement of his sin, when he didn't confess, his body wasted away. There was this harsh physical reaction when his lack of confession festered inside him. But once he confesses his sin to the Lord, uh, David goes on to speak of, in Psalm 32, he speaks of deliverance, the loving kindness of the Lord, the joy of the Lord. To teach and believe that we should ignore our sin is, is outright blasphemy. It is heresy. If we are truly saved we will be confessing our sin. That's just what happens when a when a sinner has been transformed and made into a new creation. They mourn over their sin and so when they when they do sin they confess. They repent. Again, it's not it's not that we have to confess in order to be forgiven. God says he's going to forgive all Past, present, and future sins, even those sins that we are not aware of, He will forgive. Sins that are not confessed, He'll forgive if we're truly in Christ. But if we are truly in Christ, we will be confessing our sin to Him. John MacArthur, uh, Dr. John MacArthur once told a story. About a, a message, a sermon he gave, I believe it was to a group of young adults or maybe college students. I'm not sure um, but he gave this message on first John one nine, and a young man came up to him after the after the sermon and said, "You know, I don't believe that first John one nine says that we should be confessing our sins i I think We don't need to be doing that. I think God just wants us to do our best. We don't have to confess. And MacArthur's response was interesting. He said, he asked him a question, actually. He said, let me ask you this. Do you confess your sins to the Lord? And the young man says, yes, I do. I do confess my sins to the Lord. And that bothers me. That young man was a genuine believer. He was filled with the Holy Spirit. And so, his natural reaction, no matter what he believed about 1 John 1 9, his natural reaction was to confess his sins to the Lord. No matter what his doctrine about confession of sin and, and 1 John 1 9 was. He felt led to confess his sin to the Lord when he sinned. His salvation, the Holy Spirit living inside him, overrode what he believed about the doctrine of 1 John nine. That's pretty amazing. If we are forgiven, we are confessors. Now, while confessors are forgiven for their sin and cleansed, that does not necessarily mean that there will not be earthly consequences to our sin. There will be earthly consequences when we sin. And some sins have more consequences than others. If a a man cheats on his wife, commits adultery, there is an earthly consequence there for sure. She She may leave him. Uh, he may lose his family. Uh, but even if she forgives him, there's there's a trust issue now. That trust has been broken. And that will cause difficulty in the marriage for sure. King David, he sinned with Bathsheba and, and he confessed it and he was forgiven. In fact, the Lord called him a man after my own heart. But there were earthly consequences. The baby that resulted from his affair with Bathsheba died on the eighth day. King David had 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 uh, had violence in in his house all of his days. In fact, his son Absalom wanted to wanted to kill him, kill King David, and, and ended up dying as a result Absalom ended up dying as a result of that we we are forgiven but our sin does have earthly consequences but thank God that we that the the eternal consequences are are no more our sins were paid for on the cross by Jesus Christ and so we can enter into God's kingdom, enter into God's heaven. Praise the Lord for that. So my encouragement to all of us is that when we sin, and we do sin, it shouldn't be a pattern in our lives, but we do. We fall short. And when we do, repent. Confess it to the Lord. Don't hold it in. Confess. God is faithful and righteous to forgive us and to cleanse us, to take away all that ugliness, that dirtiness, that stain. He he cleanses all of that and forgives us because He is a loving God. He's a gracious God. And He's a good God. I love you all, and I will see you next time.